This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. So imagine being in a stadium filled with six or seven thousand people, every possible skin color currently known, um, clothing ranged from really sharp business suits to flowing robes and turbans to boar tusk earrings, wizard hats, blue jeans, and khaki pants. That was the Parliament of World Religions that several of us um, were able to attend. The crowd and the, and and we amassed at the, um, what was it called, McCormick Place Convention Center in Chicago, which I didn't know until we got there, is the largest convention center in North America. So the size of the crowd and the size of the facilities meant that most of us beings, most of us earthlings, were not going to even meet one another. But what was amazing about it is everyone was there with a shared intention of moving past othering, of coming together across ethnic appearance and religious lines. It was a pretty um, extraordinary experience. And um, I was there, Lisa from our congregation was there, uh, Rev. Jill Gwynn, Reverend Jane Hyatt, Claire and Kevin, I think I'm not missing anybody, um, and then a lot of other people from Unity Worldwide. And um, what was funny about it, um, this is gonna be a little different kind of a talk today. I'm gonna share, I'm going to share a few stories about this and some of the reasons I, I think it's impactful and powerful. Kevin's going to come up and share a little bit, too, about the experience of it. Um, now, I'm going to get to why Jane and Reverend Jill are not in this photograph in a minute, because it's a fun part of the story. When we got there the first morning, the conference organizers of this huge event had had tech challenges, and they were having a really hard time getting people processed through the line, through security, and then to get our name badges. We literally, the, the line wound up circling the entire circumference of this huge building and snaking all the way back down the sky bridge to the Hyatt Hotel. We stood in line for about two and a half hours. And, but what was, cl- it was like, premier people watching, right? And you're standing next to folks who you can't understand their language, they look really different from you. Everyone was happy, everyone was cool with it. You could tell that we were all kind of grousing about about the long line, but we weren't grousing too bad, you know, because everyone was sort of enjoying, I think, just the ambiance of being there. And through the miracle of texting, our little group found each other, and um, we all, everyone was doing it. We all cut in line together and, you know, shaved off as much as we could. Everyone across ethnicities were doing that, so no one got mad at it. We're in line, Kevin, Claire, and us, you know, we're in line, as you saw in that slide, with a couple new friends as well that we met walking in. And we had all gotten up really early to get there, and somebody texts Jane, you know, like, well, where are you? And... Um, she said, oh, we were, you know, Jill and I, we were tired. We slept in. We're thinking, good gracious, you know. By this time, even getting through security is miles long. 
And um, I noticed it, at one point, I just loved this. We're moving along slowly, our little group. We're getting closer and closer to getting our name badges and all. And there's this group right next to us of seven or eight people. The men were in really kind of um, almost business suit looking white robes, very, very sharp. And this photographer comes by. And these three older men dressed like this, you know, are all standing there. And the photographer goes to get a picture. And I notice behind the photographer is one of the women from this group. Now, someone had told me previously they thought they were Zoroastrians because of the little symbols that they had on, you know, their lapel or whatever. Well, I didn't know, but what was so funny is this elderly woman, she's looking from behind the camera, the photographer, at the gentleman, the Zoroastrian gentleman, and she does this. She looks at the one, gets his attention, and goes, <laughs> to suck his pooch in. It was hilarious. So, you know, I mean, I don't know much about Zoroastrians, but apparently at least some of them don't want to have their pooch shown in pics. <laughs> and I can relate to that. It was just, there were, there were so many incidents of that where we just were in this wonderful melting pot. Um, and so, after about two hours in this line, our little group is getting pretty close to the holy grail of getting our name badges. Coming across the sky bridge from the Hyatt, there, which, which is where you had to come through security, metal detectors and stuff, there's this big commotion and this noise and people start making room and, and clearing out. And it's the opening procession. And I'm gonna show a clip of that in just a second. The opening procession, you know, and banging and dancing and these dragons that were so cool. And um, we're getting close to getting checked in and we're worried about Rev, Jane, and Jill. And I can't remember if it was Kevin or Claire. They text Jane again, like, where are you? And she's like, oh, we're in the procession. We're right in front of the dragons. <laughs> she never, this is like putting unity principle embodying it, you know? It's like, she didn't have to get up early, she didn't have to worry about it, she didn't even have to go through the metal detectors, she came in with the dragons. <laughs> so I would love to show that video clip if we can. <laughs> it's about two minutes long.
workshop, there were 25 concurrent sessions going each time. So just incredible diversity. Um, you can sort of figure out what it is that you want to do. And during that time, I mean, I bumped into some of, I went to a lot of the earth track, because that's my thing, but I also intentionally went to some other pieces. I attended a, um, a, druid, a druid ceremony, intro to druidism, you know, just some very, very interesting offbeat things for me, just so that I could bump into um, a whole diversity of wisdom. This experience was extremely hopeful to me, and I'll share some of that. It also was a nice window into my own remnant prejudices and judgments. And I want to share that too, because it was just a what for me, it was a wonderful observe it, observative, observative, I don't even know how to say that, S observational experience, thank you, of self-observation with it. So every day started with a fire lighting uh, ceremony, led mostly by Lakota and Cree um, elders. And that's right up my alley. It was beautiful. It was out overlooking. It was out on the outside terrace right next to Lake Michigan. I, every time I've had the great good fortune to be involved in a lot of indigenous and American Indian type um, ceremony and always speaks to me. I mean, mo almost always moves me to tears. Um, and this one was powerful like that. However, then I got to notice my type A Western mindset because right after the um, Lakota and Cree guys did their, you know, lighting of the four directions and all that, we burned a little tobacco and say all that stuff, these funny, funnily dressed group of guys, short, dark guys with these conical hats and curly-toed boots stepped up. And there was a little bit of talk, and they pulled a chair up, and this, the, one of these guys with this conical hat and all sits down and starts basically singing a story. And clearly he was one of their, I didn't know who they were at the time, but he was one of their wise men and elders. But this story went on and on and you know, and you could tell that there, like, that it was a really um, significant thing that this person could even remember these sacred stories and the, and, the, and the gestures and the hand signal all went with it. But I got so impatient with it. And my mindset went to, this is way too much about this guy and not enough about mama earth and sacred, whatever. So I left. I wanted to go to the next uh, ceremony. Now, one of the cool things about this experience was I was rooming with another unity minister who's a friend of mine. She and I have served on the worldwide earth care team together for years but had only met in person once before. She had a, we were talking about it later that night, she had a completely different take on what I later learned was the Kyrgyzstani tradition. She stayed there for the whole thing and really got into the motion of it and felt the story of it. The next morning, I was like, all right, I'm gonna suck it up, Syl, come on. But what was really beautiful was the grace that was demonstrated by the um, Native American elders, because what they did, they clearly overnight put a lot of effort into it, and they invited the Kyrgyzstani folks back, asked them to do a shorter version. They also then had Mongolian, a group of Mongolian folks who shared some of their fire ceremony, and then there were guys from Kenya 
So in an, in an hour's time, we got to experience all of that. And I was really, really moved by, even as my own impatience was coming in, the people who actually had set the sacred fires, they were very graceful and gracious with it all. The other thing that was extremely um, hopeful and profound, and I was surprised, some of the speakers, you know, on the plenary speakers, certainly, there still was a thread that to a lot of the speakers, creation meant only humans, kind of to Nate's point. But by far and away more than that, across uh, cultures, across religions, there was the recognition that creation is all beings, all of creation. I was really surprised by how strong the thread of earth care and writing humanity's relationship with the rest of the species we share the planet with were. Um, another thing that really pleasantly surprised me, there was also a thread of enoughness. Enoughness. A, lot of a, a number of speakers uh, spoke about the damage done by our Western worldview from a getting consciousness the consciousness of getting, of extracting nature, of using things. That was a very strong thread um, throughout the whole event. I was also super surprised at an event like this at how much, how consistent was the call to shift to a plant-based diet. I was surprised by that. And and even, we even had people who came from religions who said, I grew up in a meat eating. We were shepherds and all of this. But the fact is, the scale that it's gone to, the planet can't handle it. And to Nate's point, this is one of the biggest, biggest behavior shifts that we can make. 80% of, of deforestation of the Amazon is due to it being raised to grow cattle, beef, largely for fast food restaurants in the U.S. So that surprised me. I was really, um, I was really delighted to just experience so many different, you know, faith paths. Even you know, even Catholics who were talking about this piece of it and extending compassion to all of creation, all beings. That was really hopeful. Um, to me. And can you put up the next slide of the enough? We had people who, it's hard to see, I guess, but this is a demonstration, peaceful demonstration that was also kind of out in the area overlooking Lake Michigan. This was a group of a whole bunch of people um, saying enough to gun violence, enough to guns. We heard, kept hearing enough to the getting consciousness, enough of factory farming our animals and the torture that goes with that. It was very, very profound. Um, and certainly, one of the, I hope I don't step in it here, but one of the most powerful speakers it, from the, what I experienced was during a plenary called A Call to Consciousness, or Call to Conscience, and Marianne Williamson was there. Now, and live there. And I don't know what y'all think of her politics or anything else, but she is one of the only people on the political stage right now who's really talking about enough with the status quo system. 
enough with a system that in and of itself is fundamentally flawed. And at the end of her comments, she said something like, you could tell she was, she's tired, you know, but she said, I want to know, and she challenged us to say, she challenged us to say, we want to know that on the very last day of our lives, we have laid it all down. And I think that's what she's doing. And I was very happy to be part of the standing ovation that she got, not by everybody, but by a whole lot of us. And then what was really cool, I was walking right after that, I took off and I was headed back to my hotel room across the sky bridge to my hotel room to get a workout in. And there's Marianne Williamson in the lobby. And she's talking to one other woman and another woman, which I figured was her staffer, is, is um, standing there. And I asked her staffer, I said, does she have a, you know, does she have a minute for me to, to chat a little bit? And she said, well, we're on our, she's on her way to an interview, so you gotta be quick. And, I'm, and, I, and here I did kind of drop the background. Like, you know, I'm the former first lady of Oregon and I've been on a lot of campaigns and I know how intense it is. I promise I won't, I won't um, take up much of her time. When she heard that, she got more, more interested because I think they're looking to do some work in Oregon as well. And I wound up riding up the elevator because she was going up and so was I. And I'm like, I'll just go with you so we don't have to take any time in the lobby. And I rode up with her and I'm gonna probably step in it here. The first thing I said is, I just wanna tell you, very few people understand how effing, and I said it, hard it is to step into the arena that you're in. And you could see that close, she was tired. Um, and I said, you know, I don't even completely understand because I've only really been involved statewide. I said, but I do know what it's like to be dragged through the mud and run through the ringer because you, you, take that, you take that step. And I said, I just want you to know a lot of us really appreciate your message and it's important. And I basically wound up just giving her a very respectful pep talk all the way up the elevator, and I didn't ask anything from her in return, which you don't get a lot of that on a campaign trail. And she was so genuinely thankful, and it felt so good to me. And as the elevator doors opened and she went to get off, I said, by the way, I'm also a deep student and teacher of A Course in Miracles, and I really appreciate your work there too. She said, great, hold the consciousness. Tell others to hold the consciousness. Now, I've been around a lot of elected electoral candidates. I've been around a number of presidential candidates. I have never had one mention consciousness. That's an interesting thing that's happening right now. Can you put up the next slide, please, if I'm in order? I kept running into this guy, this wizard guy. Every time I turned around, I was seeing this wizard guy. It's hard to see there, but he's got this you know, conical hat. Paganism, that's one of the, they have their own paganism wing, right? And I had judgments about this guy. I even hesitated to show this picture to you all because I didn't want the whole affair to feel trivial, right? Even though paganism makes up a significant part of my own eclectic belief system. So I was able to kind of notice um, notice my reactions to why would I think it was a little, a little um, trivial for him to be dressed this way. He was clearly there doing his thing, right? It's just a different, a different perspective. I, at one point, right after the, um, 
the fire circle thing in the morning, I had sat down on a picnic bit or a picnic table there just to be quiet a little bit, you know, a little meditation time. And this young man comes up, all kinds of piercing. He's got like, I think it's boar, maybe boar tusks as earrings, and um, sits down next to me, and we talk a little, and uh, he asked, you know, what unity was, and I told him a little bit, and, and he said, oh, and he gives me his card. He's a pagan minister. He's Reverend, I forget his name, of the pagan order of something. Rather, We talked about animism. Animism is a part of mine. When, I, when a wild animal, when I bump into a armadillo, I stop to think, what's the medicine in armadillo for me, right? So the animistic thing. Late, we never really just, you know, said hello, kind of went off on our way. I later saw him, still with the boar's earring, boar tusk earrings, wearing a beautiful blue turban. I have no, I got, no idea what that guy's real story or beliefs are, but we had a commonality right there. It shows that it can happen. That's what it shows to me. Now, this is where, um, in a sec, I'm going to have Kevin come up. Can you do the next slide? How many of you are, are familiar with the Langar meal that Sikhs provide? I was not, but every single day, and Kevin's going to tell more about it, every single day the Sikh community um, provided a Langar, all plant-based, vegetarian meal, free to whoever wanted to, to come. Now, the piece of this that was interesting for me I felt very, very self-conscious there. Because of all of my knee injuries, I cannot sit cross-legged. And everyone, it's packed, and everyone was kind of sitting in rows on the ground cross-legged. And I just happened to be placed, and they're moving you through, because they're moving thousands of people through these meals. I happened to be placed where there was, there was no way for me to really pull my legs in. And the guy, and I had never been served by men in turbans. And the men in turbans were going by, and they were having to literally walk around my legs. I even at one point, being, trying to be very modest and respectful, tried to let them see that I had scars, you know, so that you could, because they didn't care, you know. But I did, though. I noticed it, right? So, Kevin, why don't you come up? You have, um, or, and Claire, or whoever's going to do it, you have more to say about your Langar experience. Love. Number one, Mike one. The Langar, you can pull up the next uh, image there, was really the highlight to me, and even I think to Claire, of the entire event. It was, it's strange that that would become a highlight, but the beautiful expression from the Sikhs of universal love was like I've never seen anywhere. It's unity fifth principle in action, walk the talk, right? Don't just talk about being a good person, live it. And they had these tents. This is the funny, the very first day, giant outside white tents, and we're waiting in line, and it starts to rain, and then it starts to pour rain. <laughs> and so we rush in there. So this guy is funny. He's the head chef, and I think he's looking outside at this line, and the rain's pouring down and coming in all the cracks of the tent. He's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> what are we going to do here? And so we got inside just before the rain started really to pour, sat down in the line like Sylvia talked about, and they just with smiles on their faces came by with food, and they didn't stop bringing food until you literally said, please stop, 
I'm full. And they would keep trying to give you more food. And the rain's pouring down, and it's coming in the cracks, and they're just smiling and working so hard to feed everybody. It became like a ritual for Claire and I. 11.30, Langar lunch, let's go. <laughs> Every single day, we were in line and in that tent, and it was the most beautiful thing. I think one of Claire's, she sat down, the first person she sat next to was a, a Catholic young lady who's a Catholic, not a professor at a college. And then I sat next to somebody who was a Sikh. And then every time we sat down to eat, there was somebody different to talk to from a different religion, different background. And to me, the entire experience, including the Langar, was like a microcosm of what our world could be. This, in this little gathering of 6,000 people, it was like a perfect world is this, where we're curious about each other, we're sharing each other, we're loving on each other, we're feeding each other, we're laughing and dancing and singing together, and everybody's happy. Everybody was there to learn, and that was, to me, an, the epitome of the whole experience was that, really. There's another, another quick slide of serving. This is how they would walk down the aisles with smiles, singing and serving from their buckets of yummy Indian food. It was really delicious, actually. And I think there, is there one more, or is that the, Claire had something to share, too. What's the next slide, Nico? Okay. And then Claire wants to share about the Langar, because in this tent they also had a beautiful um, display on the history of their religion and how it, how it started, who the different gurus were. And Langar lunch was started by their second guru, this, the second one who, who came to lead the Sikhs, and it with the intention of bringing people together of all faiths, of all castes, of all you know, different beliefs and socioeconomic statuses, but he wanted to break those barriers, s which went so it's in complete alignment to the conference, right? And so, and like Kevin was sharing, one day I sat next to a rabbi, the next day this young woman who was a Catholic professor, another woman who was a newly ordained New Thought minister, um, and it was just just another Sikh, a Sikh woman from India. So it was really, really a, a powerful experience so oh yeah so this they also had a beautiful women's area and we got an email and it said that there would be an altar and so if you wanted to bring things to contribute so I brought my obsidian I can see it my my piece of obsidian and my sage and lavender smudge stick that I created and I would go so and you would just come here whenever you wanted and put your things on the table to create this beautiful altar table. And I would go there every morning and just crush my little sage stick a little bit in my hand so I could smell smell my home. Because um, being in the city, it just helped ground me. And this was also very much a safe haven for me. Um, because there was also it was also really heavy. I woke up on the fourth morning just on the verge of tears because there's a lot. Our planet is going through a lot, and our fellow humans are going through a lot. And you were, there were, that's what the talks were about, were how do we communicate, and, and all these really powerful social justice things. There was a huge cry for saving the Amazon. The lung of our planet is, is 
being destroyed at trem a, a tremendous rate. So a lot of emphasis on that, and I, I didn't know how I was going to do another day of that. So I went here. Then there's another image I have of a, um, is the next one of the yurts? Yes, this was the er one of them. They had meditation yurts set up. And so this was the earth meditation yurt, and I, and I didn't know what it was, but I just started wandering, and I said, this is where I need to be this morning, and just sit and gather myself, and so just amazing, beautiful variety of things. Yeah, the last one was one of the presentations. They had a big stage where they did presentations. Oh, let's wait. I can explain that. Um, and on this stage, they had musical presentations and dances. And this, of all the things that were up there, this was the most mind-blowingly trance-like. I didn't even, it's, you know, you know the uh, swirling dervishes? It, it was, I think he was with that. Didn't say specifically. I think they did. And I thought, we're going to sit here for Ten minutes and watch a guy twirl on stage. <laughs> like, you know, my judgment, of course, was, hmm, this could be boring. Uh, but I was in a trance. We were all in a trance. Completely. We had just a short clip. We'll just share, and then I'm going to hand it back to Sylvia. This guy did this for about 10 minutes, and nobody moved. And then he got an amazing standing ovation at the end. It, I mean, if you were there, you would have been mind-blown. Thanks, you guys. It was, it was amazing. And Jane, I don't know if you have anything to add. No, you're good. All right. So the other piece, so I was there um, because I had been invited to speak uh, on sacred economics, creating an economy that works for all beings. And I was thrilled to do that, and I have, you know, I have talked about that topic for 20 years, but this was the very first time ever presenting to um, a gathering like that, multi-faith, all of that. I was excited for it, and then it was announced right before my talk that, to Claire's point about the Amazon, that the, that elders, indigenous elders in the Amazon had called an, an emergency address to the, the um, parliament because of what was happening. And I'm like, I was trying so hard to stay supportive of the Amazonian guys, but you know, you're first taught in college that economics is the dismal science. So now not only have we got 25 concurrent sessions going while my workshop's going, but we've got Amazonian elders or the dismal science, you know. <laughs> So I had about 22 people show, all of my local friends showed, which was super sweet. I wasn't sitting there with my presentation all to myself. Um, but it, 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 and it was a really super good discussion, and even with some of the people afterwards who I hadn't um, met before, um, and we talked about how our current economic system could only have been created through a consciousness of separation. It, was, it, it, it is a consciousness that allows us to feel separated from others that we're taking things from, a consciousness that 
feels separated from other species that we're doing tremendous damage to through this current economic system as well. So this is my, this is my shtick, you know, and the whole point of these, th this, this topic, this thinking about the system that we're in that I like to plant seeds with everyone is if we don't, if we don't gain skills in being able to question the paradigms that we're existing in, it's a whole lot harder to intentionally shift to healthier paradigms. And shift is happening, right? It really is. The, 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 this movement that I am a part of, that I am impassioned about, is about how do we actually create an economy that puts eco back in it. You know, the root of the word eco is home. How do we shift to an economy that supports an ecological civilization? We had a really good conversation about that, and I was thrilled to note that different angles of that conversation came up in a number of other sessions throughout this entire, um, this entire event. Now, one of the things that was challenging for me, continues to be challenging, it's a paradox that a lot of us sit in, the amount of waste generated by that event, getting there, once there, it had virtually no recycling. Even the leftover Langar meals were dumpstered, you know, a lot of it. And um, I have been weighing in my own self, you know, what is, what is right action for me burning up all these resources and emitting, you know, carbon traveling around trying to get people to do less of that? And it's something that I continually sit in. And in fact, um, I'll share with you in a second, uh, I write a publication called Transcend that I'll share a story about in a second. This, this is gonna be the next topic, is this area of paradox that we sit in. Because the other truth about this parliament event, you couldn't get, I will speak from the I, I could not get the immersive, transformative, deepening of my own release of othering without being there in person. So it, it, it is a thing that I think we're, we're struggling with, and I just put it out there because it's a challenge, and it's a, part of the, it's a part of the system that we'll need to, um, that we'll need to shift a bit. So, can you put the next slide, please? That is the first QR code I have ever made. That, is, that will take you to my Transcend newsletter. That's, it's, it's a publication for people who want raised consciousness, economic system change, and a world that works better for all beings. It's a subscription only, but you can subscribe for free. And the reason I mostly wanted to show that here is because Jane, being like Jane, right before my session, she's like, hey, I just saw this woman who had a QR code that took people straight to her, straight to her newsletter. I'm like, Jane, I don't know how to do a QR code. She's like, Kevin could do it. I'm like, Jane, I'm not gonna butt in on, you didn't even know this had happened. I'm not gonna butt in on Claire and Kevin's experience here to make me a QR code, but she had planted the seed, as she does. Turns out it's very easy to do. So got my QR code in there. Um, and then I'm just gonna really kind of wrap here. This was, this conference, this parliament, as I understand it, it was also the first time ever that new thought, and unity is one aspect of new thought, it's the first time that new thought had its own plenary session and on the big stage. And it was opened by a Wiccan priestess, 
I just think that's so cool, you know. And um, she looked as normal as anybody else did, you know, but she's up there doing her thing. They handed it off to um, Michael Beckwith, right, Dr. Reverend Michael Beckwith, and he, he um, I would be really curious to know how everyone received his comments because he's very, he's very powerful in his, he just owns his truth, and I aspire to that. He's aspirational for me. And he basically stood up to the whole plenary, the whole world, and said, you know, we don't believe, New Thought doesn't believe in a God out there. We believe we're going to bring heaven to earth by bringing it through ourselves, bringing it through us and as us. And he just preached, like, preach, brother. It was really beautiful. And it's very, I think it's very indicative of this shift in consciousness that is happening. The Parliament of World Religions is like a consciousness renaissance. You know, everyone kind of sharing that. I later, in a different session, I normally don't do the whole celebrity thing, but I was able to meet Beckwith and tell him that he was really aspirational. I told him, I just really, really appreciate how you just stand up and speak truth to power. And he said, no, no, I speak truth to pseudo-power. Isn't that great? We're the power, right? It's not truth to power. Don't give that away. So I wanna, I'm going to close this with um, my final takeaway, and it brings it full spiral back to guys with turbans. Because the truth for me is, ever since 911, I would get a little, a little aware when dark-skinned men wearing turbans got on my flight. I'll just be truthful. I would. That's where I still, I still was. And I realized coming home from power, I would just be curious. I wouldn't be wary. It had become more um, humanized, less, less I, I, had, I had deprogrammed, decolonized my mind a little bit from the fear that has been threaded through our culture about that. That's an unbelievably powerful experience for me that I wanted to share. And the final thing I'll just leave you with, Parliament of World Religions. It's called P, Parliament, O, of, World, religions, power. It's perfect for the topic and for this concept. And you do, you can get a sense there that this movement for good, this powerful movement for good, is so much bigger than we realize. So much bigger. Even for me to step out of my world of professional world working in this, to bring that old career and world into this new, brand new thing, it's like, wow, there is more going on here than I, than I ever realized. And you can feel that power. I think that's what Kevin is speaking to. You can tangibly feel it there. And I just invite, um, I just want to share that because I think the more that we can hold knowledge that even as we are hospicing an old worldview, we are midwifing a new one. And we are not alone in doing that. And knowing that is power. Much love.